Hello, I'm Kane Winstead. Hello, Internet. I'm Matthew Derrigish. And you're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a blizzard about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. We're back. That's not how English works. (laughs) You're listening to the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, a podcast about deep cuts, forgotten classics, and what it truly means to be a Spider-Man story. Today, we're back to everyone's favorite bad boy decade. With today's story being from 1996, Media Blizzard. And of course, because it's the 90s, it's a crossover. Matt, why don't you lay down all three of these issues? Does it count as a crossover? Can you cross over with yourself? Yeah, yeah, it's a crossover because you have to go out and buy all these issues, even if you're not currently buying, like, adjectiveless Spider-Man. Like, otherwise you're just going to pick up Part one of a story and part two of a story, and then you're never going to get the rest. Look, unlike Rubes and other Spider-Man podcasts, we pick up all the Spider-Books. So, this one starts with Sensational Spider-Man number one, with Dan Jurgens as a writer-artist, Claus Jansen as the finishing artist, however that works, Gregory Wright as the colorist, and Comic Craft doing the letters, and Malibu's Hughes as the computer colorist, which is a uh, not appetizing way to phrase that one. Uh, the second issue, Amazing Spider-Man 408, written by the legendary Tom DeFalco, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Larry Matchlet. Uh, colored by Bob Sharon and uh, color sets. Also, what's that? Uh, it's short for color separation. It's what they meant by computer colorist. Uh, it, basically, it's how they digitize the coloring to also print it on the newsprint. Uh, you're you're separating the reds, yeah. the greens, and the blues, or That's... whatever. Yeah. Weird. I uh, Steve Olaf outlined a bit of a different process when he invented it, so maybe not. Maybe I'm misinterpreting something here. Anyways, uh, then uh, our last one, Spider-Man 65. Written by what? Howard Mackey, penciled by J.R.J.R. Are and Tom Morgan. Throwing me curveballs in the script, man? <laughs> yeah, I'm throwing you curveballs in the script. I gotta keep you in the toes. Well, Howard Mackey recently came out as Rider X, I think, like a f- like a few days ago which was like the worst kept secret in comic books but still um so yeah so i I wrote in the script here that it was written by writer x and apparently apparently matt has not been keeping up with his comic book news i don't know about this writer x thing at all oh uh well i believe it was when howard mackie was writing x-man uh, it might have been X-Man. It, might, it was one of the late 90s X titles, but it was so reviled that uh, he took on a uh, suit or uh, like a pen name. Uh, Everybody X. loved X-Man. We are currently entering the age of X-Man. Okay, well then maybe it wasn't X-Man. Maybe it was, I, I don't know. I'm not the X-Men guy. You're the X-Men guy. But all, all my other X-Men guys <laughs> talk about this. Wow, we are already way off track and we haven't even gotten through the credits. All right, yeah, penciled by J.R.J.R. and Tom Morgan, inked by Al Williamson and Dick Glorando, lettered by Richard Starkings and Comic Craft, colored by Kevin Tinsley, and color steps were again by Malibu's Hughes. All right, there we go. Hughes, baby. 
Yeah, all of Adam Hughes. All right, well, since I came in with the assist, why don't you also give us the availability? Yeah, fair enough, I guess. So, yeah, this thing's a comicsology for what comics go for in comicsology, you know, across the three issues. But it ain't on Unlimited, because if you want that Marvel Spider-Man, you gotta go elsewhere, baby. <laughs> uh, that might be foreshadowing to uh, the Web of Rankings. Anyways, um... And then issues are under round cover price. You know, this is a comic that if you want it, you can find it. But do you want it? <laughs> but uh, 408, interestingly to the theme of Media Blizzard, has a variant with a VHS cassette. And if you could find that, that's going to set you back a few hundred? Yeah, yeah. It's about like 300 or so if you find a sealed copy that still has... Well, I mean, if it's sealed, it's going to have the VHS in it. But yeah, sealed copy VHS is going to be about 300. So when the Patreon hits 1,000, uh, Kane and I will then uh, go out and seek out one of these cassettes and tell you what's up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I tried to do some research to see what exactly was on the cassette. Um, and like, granted... I didn't do all like didn't go into like a deep dive on it because I wasn't going to spend that much time on it. Um, but no one really talks about what's on the cassette. I think mostly because once you open it up to see what's on the cassette, uh, the comic drops in value by about two hundred dollars. Um, so, but all I could find was that it has a Saturday morning cartoon sampler. Um, so I don't know if it's like a promotion. So it has like the Iron Man cartoon, the Avengers cartoon, the X-Men cartoon, the Spider-Man cartoon, or if it just has like old, you know, Merry Melodies or on it, or if it's more contemporary stuff, who knows? Um, but if any of you guys out there, since we do have uh, a lot of listeners who were growing up around this time and. Ha, you know we're collecting comics you know if if you guys had this vhs cassette I, we'd love to love to hear from you guys and hear what exactly was on it um but anyway beside all that if you want to collect this in a more collected trade form uh this story is in the complete ben riley epic number two trade um it's probably in some of those other clone saga trades but the only thing more complicated than the release of the clone, like complete Clone Saga trades, is the Cologne Saga itself. So we're just for now. I'm the Cologne s- Saga. The Cologne Saga. You know, where <laughs> Spider-Man Comes really out smelling like a rose. Well, well, you know, Mary Jane talked to him about like you know, Axe really doesn't count as a fragrance. <laughs> And so he went to, like, the Cologne Reddit, subreddit, and got, like, really into fragrances for, like, two months. I mean, there was was a time where you could not fight Spider-Man without, one, smelling of, like, Italian herbs and lemon zest, and two, hearing about him tell you the difference between Eau du Toilet and Cologne. And his calling card was a Spitz. (laughs) (laughs) I took that joke a little too far. (laughs) All right. So as you could probably pick up from what we've been laying down, the context around these issues is a lot to deal with the fact that this was from the Ben Riley era of the 90s Spider-Man, the most beloved in all of Spider-Man eras. Uh... (laughs) 
So, whereas this is at the heart of what we now call the Clone Saga, the truth is, is this was an issue played just like it was going to be the new status quo. And, in fact, sets up a large body of what was really going to be the status quo for Spider-Man moving forward in the terrible alternate universe where this took hold. (laughs) Um, Are beautiful, depending on... I know there's some mixed opinions about that. Um... If this issue is supposed to be any indication, though. Whoo, boy. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Is there much more you want to add on to that? Uh, Well, I mean, I guess it's important to note that, like, Sensational was supposed to be the new flagship book that was going to showcase Ben Riley as the one. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it it was going to showcase Ben Riley as the one true Spider-Man. I mean, that's that's it's why they got Jurgens on it, because Jurgens was able to revive interest in Superman um, in in the 90s. Um, I mean, his name isn't Morrison. That's no, but you're right. (laughs) Right, right. So, I mean, it's this was supposed to be the big revival book. And so there was the big double sized, like with like the holographic cover of uh, sensational number zero, which sets up some stuff for this story. They reference it quite a few times. Uh, most, but like the important stuff is the, di- <laughs> what turned out Ben Riley was number zero. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. Okay. Yeah. So namely the important things from that zero issue are, is the DIT chip, which is a piece of super science that projects a person's thoughts into a digital image. Then you also see Mysterio hiring Armada and kind of like the, the, the play there. And it introduces the character of Jessica Carradine, who is important for about like six months. Um, you know, I'd say six issues, but with the way the clone saga worked and how everything was constantly crossing over with it, each other yeah she showed up in other books but like she was important for about six months uh like a good fling right and then if you have no idea what we're talking about and like all of this is new to you uh like the quick and dirty for the deeper context is that ben riley is a clone of peter parker who at the time thought he was the original peter parker and it was presented as such by editorial peter parker quote-unquote, retired to Portland, and Ben took over Spider-Man. If you, if you want more on that, we have a whole episode on it on The Final Adventure. It's our 11th episode. Go check that out if you're completely lost. But with, with all that said, we will... You know, Matt's giving me a look. Well, you never... No, I mean, I see what Kate's doing, and I mean, it's a fair point, I guess. I just cannot... If you are this person, please, please, please let us know. I'm not saying this to be negative. I'd just be fascinated to know that you are listening to our podcast, but you're not aware of, like, entire decades of movement throughout the Spider-Man mythos. That'd be crazy to me. That'd be awesome. I I just... Every podcast is someone's first. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, I I think it'd be entirely reasonable for someone who maybe like started picking up at the beginning of Dan Slott's run 10 years ago and has like only read that. And I guess they would know Ben Riley from Dan Slott's run because it dealt with that. But still, like. The clone conspiracy that we talk about every other episode yeah, for yeah. Some okay well yeah you're right um anyway anyway um so it speaking of our long-term listeners i'm sure you've probably guys have picked up the pattern where if matt and i take a long time to get around to actually talking about the episode 
It's not a story we particularly enjoyed. Than the subtle hints I've been dropping. Oh yeah, the subtle hints like, don't buy this comic when we're talking about how much it costs. I'm just saying it's not worth $2 an issue. I, I don't know what you're pointing. <laughs> Woo, all right. So, ooh, I can't read that. So what the hee-haw is a media blizzard. Yeah, okay, yeah. No, that, that's, that's what I want to start out with. So we get this title called Media Blizzard. What is well, a Media Blizzard? Like, all right, You've so, never heard that before? No, I've never heard so, of this before. Uh, it, it's a term for like, um, when... Th- I, these days, it is an antiquated term. But it was when some... Usually it would be a political thing, or maybe it was a big deal with an entertainer or something, where they would just pelt media was so like it was the only thing you were hearing about for like a week or so nowadays with social media the way stuff moves it's not like it doesn't make sense anymore but when you only had access to newspapers and tv and whatnot if someone had enough money they could make it so that everyone was talking about one thing because they made a media blizzard basically and pelted you with an onslaught of this one thing. Uh, All right. I, I'd always heard that term as a media blitz, but I, you're, you're the one who's in th- marketing. That is true. You're the one who's in marketing. So I'll, I'll believe you. Uh, it's more just, you're also I, I older than a, me. So maybe this was more oh relevant. My God, like, <laughs> by like a few years. Man. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it's getting close to noon. I don't want to interrupt your uh, dinner, dinner plans. So, you know, because old people eat, eat, eat so I'm late. looking for a new co. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, so we've covered the weird title. Uh, whether or not it's a media blizzard or thing, or is it some sort of like very strange media blitz is how it's more commonly referred to, it's just okay. another way to basically say that, yeah. Um, so yeah, and then uh, we launch into this bit that we were talking about with Jessica where she takes photos of Spider Man. F- for college credit, it seems like. Well, I mean, this is all part of the reinventing Spider-Man and like reinventing the character. So they're they're taking the various pieces. Like, I, I feel like this is a smart way to do it. You take the various pieces of the character's history and the continuity, and you kind of break them down into chunks and then rearrange them. So you still have all of the same elements, but you have fresh spins on them. And because they have like new and different directions, you might be able to mine like a different story or a different take. So I, I don't hate this. I like the idea up until the point of college credit, which just makes it weird. Like, if it was a rival paper, or if there's some other more contrivable excuse, but it just being like a pet project, basically, makes it a little, uh, shriny. I mean, I don't know how how often you, you hung out in the art buildings at your hallowed halls of education when you were in college, but, uh... Shriny is how I would, would describe about 95% of the like student exhibitions I saw when I was at, at uh, my undergrad. Well, not even the artists hung out much in the artist building at my college because they had a constant leak through the roof. So oh, yeah, uh, they what... did fix that up. Or, that's know. what I love around my art. Uncontrolled hum- uh, humidity and, uh, you know, rainwater. <laughs> anyway, um, so... <laughs> But the uh, the the bit about the media here, our, our our villainous intent with Media Blizzard in this one is that there's a new uh, show in town, a new, a new TV Station. network. Yeah, yeah. Station. Yeah. Um, 
called Mystery Vision. Hey, Kane, 10 guesses to who the villain is behind this one. <laughs> yeah, um, it couldn't be, I don't know, uh, Craven? Uh, you know, this doesn't feel like his playground as much. Maybe, <laughs> maybe Arcade? Oh, yeah, or Mojo. Mojo, there oh, we yeah. go. Yeah, you haven't had a good spider mojo fight in a while. Um, and that would really bring Ben to, you know, places Peter hasn't gone. Right. I mean, honestly, Mojo would have been better at this, th- or a better fit for this story, I felt, than Mysterio. Um, which, spoilers, it was Mysterio. Um, oh, what? <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. Um, since, like, Mojo's whole bit is that he's he, like, makes, like, he, he's he's all tuned into media and, like, tries to make, like, weird reality TV shows, or at least in, like, the three Mojo stories I've read, because I don't really read X-Men. Um, <laughs> well, what, what teases this off even more is not that um, Spider-Man's looking at this article that says Mystery Vision, but Mystery Vision is in a completely different font that it, that is a fade from purple to green, which are Mysterio's colors, as, you know, most villains, if you know about color comic coding. But, like, still, it's just, like, okay, mystery, green, purple, like, we're really kind of... (laughs) Yeah. We're past foreshadowing. This is, like, sick shadowing. (laughs) So Mysterio has stolen this uh, DIT chip and is putting out subliminal messaging to people so that they are compelled to like watch this one channel and i don't know if you've ever seen uh the movie and now that i'm trying to reference it on air i've completely completely blanked on the title wait your doc's telling you the title yeah he is uh videodrome um oh well i mean if anyone's seen Videodrome and read this comic, they're, they're probably like, this is nothing like Videodrome. Um, but the very, very bare bones description of that movie is that uh, an executive makes a like midnight program that is, that is like weird. And there, there is a similar kind of. So it's an adult swim documentary. What are you trying to tell me here? Video, like, it's a David Cronenberg film, and if you're familiar with those, things get really weird. There's a lot of body horror. Someone makes like a a gun out of his hand that shoots a bullet that makes someone like explode, Fist of the North Star style. Um, you know, just going for again even more esoteric references. Um, but not to say that any of that happens in this comic, but. There was just something about this, I guess something about like this mystery television program that was like compelling and like compelling people to do something against their will and like interacting with their mind and stuff reminded me of Videodrome. Videodrome is a much better piece of media than this story. Uh, So I also don't want to go tell people like to recommend go watch it because it is extremely violent and extremely intense. Uh, and also very weird, but um, yeah, I'll talk about Cronenberg anytime I have the like off chance to do it. Okay, well, moving on from that, because I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> um, we glazed over maybe one of the most 90s moves they made, and that um, Ben is working as a barista at the Daily Grind, and so he's just working at a coffee shop a la Friends, I guess. He'll be there for like, you. Like, uh, it's the most 
bizarre move because they make it work so that it's like it's a hip place in town, but I guess you can't have him be a bartender. I I don't know. Well, uh, to me, it was super weird. <laughs> well, I, I think bartender is maybe a little too ad- adult for the the all ages approach to Spider Man. Like they don't want to have like Spider Man showing kids how to how to make a like a highball or something. Well, I mean, you you shake your head, but like Spider Man is famously like a teetotaler, and you know, I I can I can see Barista again. You get the the friends connection, um, and also it it puts him on college campus or near enough to it where he he has this cast cast of college students and college age people who who come here. It, it seems like, uh, oh God. Capital University is that is that what what it was um, something like that. It seems like that was going to be uh, play big, kind of the way that ESU was big in Peter's life in the the late seventies or early seventies, rather. Um, sure, I guess. I mean, I could see it. I just it feels like there's a bunch of weird little positions you could move them in. Barista just felt bizarre. Plus, you know, they're getting paid by the hour. You know, I can't see him making much tips when he's running out the door every shift. Right. Well, you know, it's it is what it is. This is this was the, this, the decision that was made, and uh, as we all know, it didn't last very long. Right. So as we move on, this um, mystery vision makes it so that once people are watching the show, they are completely enraptured by their TV. No big commentary here about anything. Just move on investigating our our dearest spider-man throws on some uh, they call them 3d goggles basically <laughs> right well he yeah he he ends up going to the studio that's putting on this thing and he meets this guy randolph hirsch i think and uh and he's like oh spider-man why don't you check these 3d goggles on spider-man's like oh okay and puts them on and sees some stuff and he's like oh okay and oh no this was the bad guy it was mysterio tricking him into putting on 3d lenses so that mysterio's like illusions will follow spider-man everywhere Q, probably one of like the weakest mysterio stories and like uses of Mysterio as a character uh, leading into this uh, Amazing Spider-Man 408 issue. Right. I mean, the only thing I want to say about before we really tackle uh, Amazing 408 is the transfer into 408 because it was kind of interesting because a lot of times these kinds of stories where they move across kind of drop the ball as far as where the last story left and where the next story picks up. And this one make sure to pick up at exactly the right spot by doing the whole can't shoot webs while web swinging gambit. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Spider-Man's falling and then he just kind of bounds around and uh, lands a little roughly uh, in amazing 408. And that's our transfer. I just wanted to note that because it just, it, it was bizarre in that like it worked to make sure that the story was moving correctly. It was a very like kind of transparent handoff point. But it also worked in a way. I I don't know. I, yeah, no, I just I, thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I I also like that sequence of because I mean we we frequently see Spider Man like falling and oh no my web shooters aren't working right how am I gonna get out of this situation and I thought this one was interesting where like he 
kind of bounces off the building and every time he hits the building he kind of uses his sticky powers to to slow like stick to the wall but he still has a lot of momentum so he kind of slides down um and it it was an interesting way to have that spider-man trope where spider-man beats the crap out of himself doing something so he's handicapped for the fight coming up um but we have like the really interesting visual of like spider-man passed out but his hand was still stuck to the wall so he's just kind of like dangling by his hand um and so it was it was i mean we never we don't really see like i mean we see moments of like vulnerability from spider-man but like i don't don't know if we've ever seen him like dangling from from a wall like that um it it was just uh an interesting moment yeah no uh and we're kind of drilling the detail on this one but it was uh, something about it seemed like one of the more unique things because it was such a classic take but it was a different different spin right on the classic Right, but and then and then, so the biggest thing about this issue to me was just the mass amount of pop culture references and how dated this comic was. Not because, not just because of the pop culture references, but because of like the context. Like, so like Spider Man like meets up with like these two gangbangers who talk in some approximation of you know like a street dialect. Well, they use a lot of like slang, and and their 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 speech is like they don't end on a G. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, the the right uh, DeFalco takes takes you know measures to make sure that you read that they speak with like an accent, and and I don't like it. It just it that on top of like all these references. Uh, to like Martha Stewart and politicians, and I'm trying to remember all of them because like some of these, like I, I mean, I was six years old when this comic came out. I, w- I wasn't super, you know, hyper aware of pop culture at the time, unless it had something to do with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or you know Power Rangers. It's about where I'm at today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not much has changed, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know what. What did you? Th- I mean. Did you just kind of like glaze over that or or did you have any thoughts on these pop culture references? I mean, they were of the time. This was a comic of the time. I mean, most of them were big enough that, I mean, I felt like I was able to follow mm-hmm. most of them. But I, I mean, that's an ongoing debate, right? Like, is it better to have the Spider-Man comics with or without this? And you're going to have chunks where they do and chunks where they don't because he's a comedic character and so for him referencing what's going on at the time makes sense and what's funny is we get a lot of them the comics today but it doesn't register because we're in the day and it's only when you go back and read them a few years later that you go oh yeah this was from you know x year and so i i mean it's it wasn't this comic already isn't exactly a punch it above a certain weight level so it didn't really like registered to me as anything extra like yeah they were going for jokes at the time and some of them landed some of them didn't some of them i'm not sure they're supposed to land but they're what spider-man would say right i guess okay um and then so we talked about how this being like a particularly weak mysterio issue or story i i do want to point out um 
so Spider-Man's knocking out these gang guys, but they make a point of like, he's going at them, but he sees demons basically because of the Mysterio goggles. It's funny because he kind of realizes it, but he kind of doesn't. I don't know 100% what the comic's going for. Like, does he realize on some level he's getting played or not? Because it's a pretty quick turnaround from here where he whips off the goggles that are shaped to exactly match his spider eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, so when, when we say it's a weak Mysterio story, the, the what makes it weak is that the 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 illusions and the trickery of Mysterio doesn't really seem to do anything but give the artists some like leeway on what to draw so instead of you know drawing gangbangers he's drawing demons or whatever but like it the good Mysterio stories you know play with the you know with the, the psychology of Spider-Man and then they play with the idea of what's real and what's not. But here it's very apparent what's, what's not real. And in Spider-Man even re- like recognizes that, Oh, I'm pretty sure these, these are uh, illusions, but just to be sure, I'm still going to beat the, like beat the crap out of them. Right. It doesn't really change the situation, especially in a comic book where you don't get any sense of impact of a hit. So maybe he's hitting a little harder than he should, but he's not killing them anyways. So how much does it really change the story? And what follows is he gets into a fight with Armada, who's a 90s character. There's lasers, there's gold, there's a jetpack, there's pouches, you know. Um, <laughs> You're not wrong. I Look, no. Uh, but in this fight, uh, his eyes start to crackle and he realizes something's up and he puts it 100% together right there. So the entire play of them setting up with these, uh, eye goggle things is that one moment with the gangbangers who he thinks are demons and he doesn't really treat them any differently. So, uh, like, it's a long way to go for nothing. It also kind of speaks to the fact that, uh, maybe the handoffs on these stories weren't as well thought out as they maybe should have been. Well, okay. So I actually talked to Howard Mackey at a convention a few years ago about this, this uh, era and his experience as a writer and everything. And according to him, which you can take with as much of a grain of salt as you want at this point in, in uh, Marvel, Spider-Man was completely run by marketing and like the editors, everyone, everyone was kowtowing to marketing. So a writer would turn in a one issue story and it would get to marketing and marketing was like, this looks great. Can we make this a six issue story? And so, and it would get spread and it would get thrown onto all these other titles so that everyone was buying all the titles at once so they could get all the stories together. And I feel like if if that was indeed the case, which I I mean, I'm sure if there was any exaggeration, at least like most of that was correct. If that, like this, this really feels like a story where that was the case. Where like it fe- this this definitely feels like a story that was stretched thinner than it meant to be because I feel like this would have been a stronger one or two issue story rather than something that ended up being across three different writers all may might have had different takes on what the idea of the story should have been. Yeah, and I mean just to push on the story doctor elemental, like it could have been 
maybe even an issue more, but they play a little heavier with some of the elements. Because I think that goggle setup, so Spider-Man, you know, is having his vision tweaked to whatever they want it to be, is a really good setup, but it has to be ten times more subtle. Right. So I think there's a lot that could have been done there that just wasn't, because that's nowhere near where they were going. So I don't want to say that per se, but... This this wasn't working, whatever the mix was going into this comic. And as you're pointing to marketing, which, you know, a lot of the signs line up with what you're saying. So totally, he wasn't creating the best spider art. <laughs> no, no. And I mean, this is one of the reasons why Dragons left the title after six issues was because he was getting fed up with this kind of writing by committee uh, style of you know, storytelling. And, and so I, I, we beat up on the story, but we don't really have the full picture. We don't, I mean, we have the full picture of what was presented to us, but a lot of the times with this, you know, in, in the era of the clone saga and everything like the behind the scenes and kind of the, like the drama there is more interesting than the story itself. But you know, we we don't really have all the information. Um, you know, you, you can try to talk to Howard Mackey about this kind of stuff, but he's he. I, I think he's really just at this point of his life trying to put all this all, all the Clone Saga stuff behind him, and 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 move on and do whatever he whatever you know he wants to be doing. But all of that to say, moving on to the Howard Mackey installation of this this issue, I thought this was the strongest one of of the three. I thought the stuff with Jessica was interesting. Uh, I, I think the two characters had like a good play off of each other. I think it was a little weird. Uh, their like meet cute in uh, the Jurgens issue was essentially like, "Hey, let's talk about our childhood traumas," but really quickly. <laughs> and Mackie seems to uh, pick up on that when they go on their like quote quote date, where uh, you know they they kind of continue on that track since it was their means a connection and i think it's ben says you know this is really depressing let's find about something else to talk about and so i, I like i liked i liked their interaction between the two and i liked their their little date i liked uh jessica showing up to ben's apartment and commenting like wow how do men live like this uh because it's a sty and then and then we get to like the the photography part and then we see like how their relationship is going to play here because typically you know of, of course while they're on their date like the you know something happens and ben's like i gotta go spider-man and he's like wait i gotta figure out how to uh how to slip out and then jessica's like hey peace out i gotta go take pictures of this and so it, it like Again, that's that's uh, an instance where we have all the pieces of the Spider-Man history chopped up in little bits and and moved around to see if we can make another different kind of jigsaw puzzle. And, and I mean, that part was interesting. Then it's followed by what I think is the weakest page of this entire three issues, where uh, Ben walks into the coffee shop where most people there are glued to the TV, but our dear friend Shirley... Who's a guy with a ponytail because it's the 90s is talking about how he just wishes he could tear down all the um, television receivers tra re transmitters, transmitters yeah. yeah and so ben's like oh the transmitters what a good idea i'm off to go do that thing and it's like really like you needed sage advice to go put that two and two together it, it just 
Right. This felt really hammy to me, basically. It, but I I see what you're saying. There's a lot of good stuff in the Mac issue. I just feel like there's a good moment with each one of these issues, and then there's some bad stuff. And it's like too many cooks in the kitchen is a big problem with this one. Yes. Oh, don't don't start singing. <laughs> too many cooks. I said don't. <laughs> um no, okay, yeah, th- th- that's a good point. Because um, there there are some moments where this uh, issue thuds, uh, Spider-Man 65, that is. Um, you know, I, I hold off on the ending just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, th- that page and kind of the moralizing and the grandstanding, uh, certainly interesting for uh, an, an arc that came packaged with a VHS collection of Saturday morning cartoons. But uh, again, that just sounds like marketing calling the shots. Um, not that I, I think that this this comic was really reaching for a grand, uh, you know, soapbox to uh, to to stand on or any sort of like moralizing point that really was going reaching reaching deep. But anyway, but. The battle's interesting. They do have some interesting play. Like, there's one part where there's this dragon, and Spider-Man's like, oh, well, that's clearly an illusion. He just tries to go through, and uh, Mysterio pushes out basically an electroblast, I don't know, pain lasers out to make it look like it's coming out of the dragon's mouth that Spider-Man gets hit, and he's like, whew, that's one heck of an illusion, you know? Right, so so you're talking about the the final confrontation where Spider-Man goes up and starts... Uh, finds Mysterio and starts beating on him. Yeah, the fisticuffs portion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought there was some interesting play there, but it's kind of odd to me because there's some stuff playing with Mysterio's power set that was odd. But this was a odd period for Mysterio because he wasn't fishbowl head. He had this green glowing aura and uh, had a lot more straps. Yeah. Uh, kind of the grunge emo Yeah, look. I was, I was going to ask how you felt about this uh, costume because... I mean, you people are very split on the Mysterio, the classic Mysterio costume. You either have people who are of the correct opinion that it is a gift from on high and like one of the greatest cost, villain costumes of all time, and then other people who say it's super cheesy and just looks really dumb. Look, I'm white. I love cheese, <laughs> and it's a- that classic Mysterio costume as you said, is the correct opinion. That is just... Oh. The, Mysterio might not be Spider-Man's best villain, but he's his best-looking villain. Um, that That is a fashion statement of no parallel. It is incredible. And anytime they deviate from it, I don't, I don't want to hear right. it. Well, uh, all of that is to say, as far as 90... Uh, 90s kind of reimaginations of costumes go. I don't hate this one. This one does smell like Teen Spirit. This one does smell like Teen Spirit, but like I don't hate this one. Like I kind of like the like Dormammu head and with like all the the, the fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I could I could leave like the Final Fantasy belts. Uh, you know, he's like covered. Oh, heads. that pulls it together literally. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I don't hate this look. I don't think it's bad. And if you're giving this look more to, like, Electro or something, I'd be on board. Mm. But, oh, dude, Mysterio, you can't... Don't go change your perfection. Right. And I, I think we're also kind of glossing over that this is, like, Mysterio in disguise as Randolph Hearst or using, like, the alias. 
I think I think that was a retcon, but yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because um, I'm spacing on his name right now, but Mysterio the man was yeah, Quinn was d- dead or playing dead at the look. There's a lot of Daredevil, there's a lot of death and rebirth going on, and I don't remember exactly where we're at in it at this point, and it doesn't really factor into the story right. at all, but th- the need for Beck was not important, and Quinn Beck is not much of an identity once you get past the Romita years anyways, so... Okay, yeah, R- yeah. Romita Sr., this this actual issue we're talking about is rendered by Romita Jr., so that was an odd <laughs> statement. I apologize, Romita Sr., it's it's still worth mentioning, I, I I suppose. But anyway, so so yeah, so we we reach the end of the issue, and then we have like a, another like grandstanding about how the the choice of the television is is. Oh, oh, allow me. And despite what you or anyone else might believe, ellipses, the ultimate power of television is in choice. Third caption box because you can't make this one. And the best way to exercise it is with the remote control. <laughs> Boom! Nailed it. <laughs> TV is bad wrong. The end. Enjoy your VHS tape. <laughs> well, and, you know, bully to all those people who still have to stand up and actually, like, push the buttons on the TV. Like, you have no choice in the matter. You're stuck on one other channel you turned it on to because you're not standing back up to go change the channel to, like cartoons or whatever i mean mid 90s you if you didn't have remote control you knew you were behind the times we, we didn't have a remote control <laughs> well there you go <laughs> i mean to be fair it was alabama i mean by by definition it's behind the times <laughs> this is the sort of uh story moralizing that i kind of hate i kind of hate when comics are like tv's bad for you because i'm like man you know what everyone says about comics like it doesn't come off right also like of the era of comics to be like tv rots your brain it's like there's not a lot of this comic that's really uh pushing for literary merit you know (laughs) i hey i i you know some days i read moby dick other days i read like (laughs) x factor meets spider-man special hollow Oh, we haven't done we, that. We one haven't yet. done that one with like the the side cover where you have to like fold it out like it's like a pinup or something. Sometimes I read Playboy for the audience. <laughs> uh, anyway, all right. Well, we we've hit the end of the episode, which means we talk about did this feel like a Spider-Man story? Which I feel like is an important question to ask because this is the like kind of like first story where we don't have peter parker spider-man as the spider-man we have ben riley the scarlet spider who is not currently scarlet there's some red yeah. <laughs> uh, i mean no i mean they they went to lengths to make sure this felt like a spider-man story you have that classic web shooter gambit he's fighting mysterio like yeah and you have the soap drama aspect but you're setting up all this new soap drama you know new but familiar it works on that level like it does feel like a spider-man story and i think they wanted to really make sure that this first big blowout felt that way before they start dealing with uh kane which is something i can relate to you don't want to just start with that yeah i mean i hate dealing with kane anyway i mean i mean that's the next story issue two is like the return of kane issue two of uh 
of sensational i think is the third part of that story uh if i remember correctly but uh yeah yeah so i i I mean i i've i've said it twice already um but like this really does feel like a spider-man story where they've kind of jumbled up the pieces but doing doing it in a way that makes it still feel familiar um and i i think that was really well done so on on that point it feels like a spider-man story now with like the whole mysterio taking over a television studio i mean i feel like that's a little outside of the character's gambit like do you like can you imagine the amount of capital it takes to start up a new television studio in new york city and like all of that equipment to develop these like high tech lenses specifically to put over Spider Man. I mean, he did steal the technology, like the 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 chip technology, but it still felt like a lot of money would have had to go into pulling off this heist, seemingly just to kill Spider Man. I mean, I, I guess it was also for like the recognition, and there is a throwaway line that like. Uh, at the end that there was a lot of advertising money in this venture so it seemed like a get rich quick scheme that required a lot of startup capital look man this was the clinton years banks were really ready to throw out cash if you could prove you had that collateral Uh, i guess we are starting the the dot-com bubble right around now aren't we or uh, i don't know yeah again i was six i wasn't really my portfolio was pretty lean back then i wasn't really following the markets um (laughs) (laughs) yep but so next is where are we gonna put this on the web of rankings because i know you don't necessarily like to start it off as much my question for you is do you think this is better or worse than cosmic carnage Uh, i'm gonna say this is better than cosmic carnage because my issue with cosmic carnage was like like there wasn't much cosmic carnage. He, he was like, he was there for like half of an issue. Spider-Man didn't even fight him. All he did was like, you know, he fought internally in like, in like a mindscape kind of argument thing with Silver Surfer. And then he got encased in Adamantium or super Adamantium, cosmic Adamantium, and wasn't really seen until the century threw him in the sun a few years later. Um, only for him to show back up later because, you know, why not? What I was looking at was around the Spider-Man India level because this this comic was competent. It was competently told. Its fatal flaw is that it's just boring. You know, it's... The- I, I think that its fatal flaw is that it's jumbled. I think there's interesting ideas in here. I think there's a lot of play, but it's fighting itself it is fighting itself but okay so we we made the point about like the the mysterio angle not really jiving and i think part of the reason it drives is because we never really see this like what stakes it's gonna have and so the whole time the reader's just like all right well when is this like when is this gonna mean anything when is this gonna happen and it just becomes uh, like we're we're waiting out to see when spider-man's gonna figure out that this is obviously an illusion there's a disconnect between what the the character what the character knows and what the reader knows and it makes and that makes a boring read because we're not going on the same ride as the characters is going on and the writers aren't really doing anything to play with that disconnect they're just going with it straight 
And so it, it doesn't engage the reader. And that's why I felt like it was boring to me. Kind of like how Spider-Man India was boring. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed to put this one above the Marvel Knights Spider-Man, just because I feel like that's a stronger entry. Okay, no, that that's fair, because, you know... For all the issues we had with Spider-Man Knights, or I'm sorry, Marvel Knights, I would say that it was not boring. Uh, it meandered. It, you know, it, it was overstuffed, but it was certainly not boring. There was a lot going on. So I'll, I'll take that. How? Okay, well then, in that case, then, what if number seven? So that was that, uh, what if someone else was bitten by the radioactive spider issue? Where would you put that yeah. in relation to this? I guess I put this one above it just because that what if number seven feels like in a weird way when we're talking about early Marvel comics, we, we think of all this amazing stuff they did. That issue felt with a bubbling the idea like, what if we just did something else and didn't really dive into it to tell a story? Right. So. I'll, I'll agree with that, especially since we got this great what if with Jerry Conway, which took that exact same idea. What if Flash Thompson was bitten by the radioactive spider and gave us a great story out of it? So like we, we saw that like, I mean, 40, 40 ish years later. Yeah, whatever. Like, but we saw that the story had legs, but this, you know, the what if number seven didn't really carry it anyway. I mean, it also tried, it also had three stories in one, but you're right. Especially with that Jameson story. Like what was the point? <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so we need to find another way to do this because I don't even know what number this is on the list, but it's low. Yeah, it is going. It is our new. So bottom of the list is Trouble. Then Short Halloween, which was the Patreon uh, exclusive review, I guess. Uh, then after that, Marvel Team Up, which we did with the Children of the Atom uh, podcast. Battle, Battle of, of the, the Atom. Atom. Adam's yeah, Adam Wreck. Then Cosmic Carnage, which we did with mischievous Mark Janakio. What if number seven? And now Media Blizzard. We really need to get better uh, comics for to bring people on. It seems. I cruel. was about to say, well, neither Adam nor Mark have asked to be back on the show, so maybe because we made them read some of the worst comics we've covered. <laughs> anyway, speaking of terrible comics, let's have Dan read Trouble. <laughs> No, we'll have Dan. Uh, no, Dan suggested like back when I pitched the show. There is a terrible um, Craven story. It's the the son of Craven, Alyosha, uh, where he like goes out and becomes like a Hollywood uh, producer, and it's it is. Is that Get Craven? Yes, yes, it's Get Craven. That's that's what it is. Um, okay. And it's. According to Dan, I have not read that one. Dan said that it is like uh, the room level's bad. That That's not a direct quote, but I, I think that was what he was implying all those times ago. Who knows? He might have changed his opinion. On, I, I don't know. I don't want to speak for him. But, right. but <laughs> anyway, speaking of bad comics, we're going to be talking about some good comics next time. Uh, we'll be jumping on to um, The Brand New Day where we'll be talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 555 and 556. Sometimes it snows in April. Uh, if you're not super familiar, that's the one where like Spider-Man fights like the Mayan gods, uh, Chris Bacolo art. Uh, really cool stuff. Really cool stuff. I'm excited. That was also early in on the uh, Brand New Day run. So 
pumped for that, pumped for that. After that, we're going to be heading back over to Forest Hills for Spectacular Spider-Man number 173 through 175, Christmas Stirring. That's a uh, J.M.D. Mateus story. And then we're going to close out the block with Tangled Web of Spider-Man uh, number 21, Twas the Fight Before Christmas by Darwin Cook and other people. Can't can't recall everyone off the top of my head. Anyway, 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 anyway. Thanks to everyone for tuning in once again. You can always follow our show on Twitter and Facebook for updates and more. We've got links in the show notes for that stuff. Uh, we also have that Patreon. We share it with the Amazing Spider Talk. So one donation of $3.99 a month grants you access to all of our bonus episodes and all of the Amazing Spider Talks bonus episodes. So you're basically getting two more podcasts. If you want to donate even more and get even more bang for your buck, we do have the Excelsior tier. $10 a month gets you uh, commissioned artwork twice a year from Spider-Man artists you know and love. $20 a month if you are real, real deep pockets gets you that commissioned artwork colored a few months later. Or if you just want to, I don't know, talk to us in our special VIP channel on the Slack community, $1, just just a single dollar for chicken nuggets will get you access to that VIP channel in the Slack community, the Amazing Spider Slack. Uh, honestly, get the chicken nuggets if you want to put in at least. <laughs> Uh, VIP, uh, yeah, VIP membership is not transferable, no matter how many chicken nuggets you bribe us with. <laughs> just, just hit us up on Twitter. It's fine. <laughs> anyway, special thanks to the LA Badge for providing our theme song. Like always, if you want to listen to more from them, you can check out the show notes. And until the subliminal messages in this podcast wear off, make mine untold. <laughs>
Hey, Derpy. Bye. Uh -huh. 